Hello, everyone. My name is Mary Smith. I am the host of this podcast and Educator's Legacy and also the owner of Educational Leadership Consultants. Today's guest is my friend. I'm calling him my friend now. We've spoken several times. His name is Dan St. Romain. And honestly, I'm like a Dan stalker because I've been watching him on Twitter. Although we do have some mutual friends in common with Joe Mascaro and Jenny Severson and several other people, but I've just been kind of stalking him on Twitter and watching what he's been putting out there. And I decided to reach out to him myself and find, uh, find out if he wouldn't agree to be a guest. Um, he is like, to me, in my eyes, and I know my eyes are regular, but my, in my eyes, he is a leader in character education. So I wanted to have him on the podcast today so that he can uh, talk to us about different things that are passionate to him. So Dan, welcome to An Educator's Legacy. Thank you, Mary. I'm so excited that you invited me. And you know, people cannot dispute I am a character. So I, I will not argue that fact with you that um, I, my, my wife says, well, you're a character. And I'm like, is that a good thing? She said, why should we ascribe a value to it? Let's just leave it at you're a character. So <laughs> you got that right, sister. <laughs> well, and he is a character too, folks. He's got tons and tons of personality which honestly, I think really lends itself well. When you're trying to teach character education, Dan, tell me about, are you, are you, okay, let me back up. Dan does a lot of, he just retired from the school system in June, but he does a lot of like half or more of his time for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years has been spent educating adults about how to teach character education. Am I correct there? That is absolutely right. Um, about about fit, prior to retiring, 50% of my time was working with kids and 50% of my time was working adult with adults. And people always told me, they said, oh, the kids must be so much easier. And I'm like, okay, let's go with that. But you know, my passion, Mary, is working with adults. I absolutely love working with adults just as much as kids. Okay, so when you're, do you find that... Um, when you're working with people on character education, that adults um, have difficulty with some of the things that you're teaching? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think about this a whole lot. I think we all really, really want the same thing. The trouble is time. Like that's just like, that is the, the, the nemesis and the enemy for everyone because I find teachers when I sit down and have conversations with them, we all want the same thing. Like our end goal is the same. Good, healthy, productive citizens, contributing to society, well-rounded. The problem is teachers get so overwhelmed with all of the academic tasks and benchmarks and everything they have to meet that character education and behavior sort of, well, let me change that. Character education falls by the wayside just because it has to until it rears its ugly head in the area of behavior and discipline when behavior gets in the way of teaching all of our cognitive skills. So I really think that the challenge is more, I always get the question, you know, how do you fit it in and, and what are the easiest ways to do it? And I don't have time. So I think we all have a similar shared vision. The challenge becomes when do we do it and how do we do it? Right. And I agree with that statement a hundred percent. And here's, here's the other part of that is that I know when I was teaching character education, honestly, I kind of resented it at first because I didn't feel like it was my job. I felt like it was parents' job. 
and I didn't feel like I should be taking time away from um, regular, edu- you know, my science and math so that I could be teaching um, how to be like how to say no, how to accept no or how to say thank you or how to say please and all that kind of stuff. However, I realized there's huge value in that uh, undertaking, you know, whether parents don't have time for it or not. Honestly, it's not time for that. We don't have time for a blame game. We don't have time for any of that other nonsense. The question is, how do we move forward? And how do we move it into a realm to where teachers can actually get the education done? Do you have any kind of solution for that? You know, it's one of those things. I think your I think your thoughts originally that I you know that idea of I don't have time and that's not my job is very very common. Um, I know years and years ago, uh, I think it was the Boys Town model of social skills did a inventory and you know asked teachers whose job is it to teach character education and and all the teachers said the parents and they went to the parents and said whose job is it to teach character education and the parents said you know the teachers. And we sort of have this 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 problem of everyone wants it. Again, it goes back to that time. And so what I tell teachers, you know, is character education, behavior, discipline, that can't be something that we just say, okay, we're going to work on that 20 minutes from 9 to 9.20. Character education and behavior is something that we embed into everything we do. And once you sort of adjust that perspective of tying everything to character education and tying everything to behavior, then it starts to become easy as you integrate it into the teaching of math, into the teaching of science and the teaching of social studies. I mean, behavior is... (laughs) Behavior is a big issue for every single teacher. And if you think about, I'm trying to move beyond behavior. Like when I ask parents and I say, you know, what, what do you want for your kids? They never look at me and say, I want my child to behave like that never comes up. They say, I want my, I want my child to be a good person. I want to be a productive member of society. I want them to have friends. I want to be happy. Um, Obviously I want them to hold down a job. And so when I tell teachers move beyond just behavior and look at, how do we develop character traits of compassion and understanding and perseverance? If we look at character traits rather than behavior, then everything becomes a teachable moment. But Mr. Sankman, I don't want to do this. I know. Remember, though, we don't always get what we want. We get what we need. And the sooner you work on this, the sooner we can move on to other things. Don't give up. You know, so when we tie things to when we tie teachable moments to character education, I think it can go a long way in helping our kids develop good character. I think you're probably right too. And that's such a good, a good idea of tying it into everything you teach when you start, but it's a mindset shift for the teachers, correct? Absolutely. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I talk a lot about that in my body of work. I am so often asked by principals and administrators to come in and provide strategies. You know, I, I twitch because I hear this a lot and I understand it. But will you come in and give our teachers tools and tips, you know, tools for their toolbox? And I've never been a fan of that philosophy because I think that simplifies um, behavior into this. Well, if you just have the right strategy, the, the bad behavior will go away and they'll develop good character. I'm like, it's, it's beyond that. It's about shifting your perspective. So, Mary, I'll give you a, a really good example that I give a lot of administrators They'll say, you know, will you give our teacher strategy? And I say, okay, I'm going to give you an example. Let's talk about eye contact. Mary, have you ever used eye contact with kids while you're teaching? Like just engaging their eye contact. Yeah, have you ever done that? 
Yes. Yeah, we do that all the time. So I'll be in a workshop and I find that eye contact is a powerful strategy with kids. So I tell teachers in a workshop, okay, use eye contact because in my mind, Mary, I'm thinking I'm, thinking I'm modeling, um, paying attention. I am developing a good rapport, I'm showing empathy. Like there are all kinds of things I can do with eye contact. And when a child, a student is looking at me, they're not looking at their friends and talking. So I tell teachers use eye contact as a behavior strategy. So one teacher hears that and they go back and they start greeting their high school students at the door. They, while they're teaching, they naturally scan over when they're talking about a lesson, they look at a child particular and then specifically, and they go to another child, another child. Okay. Another teacher hears that same thing, eye contact. She goes back to her classroom. She starts teaching her fifth grade math lesson. And then a student starts talking and she stops and she just stares the child down until he stops talking. Now, Mary, what I want you to notice there is both teachers use eye contact, but one used it for good and the other used it for evil. Because the perspective <laughs> of those teachers were different, Mary. One teacher believes in the power of the relationship and the humanizing and healing power of developing that through eye contact. And the other teacher, for whatever reason, believes if I could take that child home, I could stop that behavior. Well, no strategy, Mary, that I'm ever going to give that teacher is going to make her happy because if her underlying perspective is one of punishment rather than teaching character and discipline, there's no strategy that will ever make her happy. So going back to your original question, we have to make sure that that staff members are pretty aligned on the philosophy that we believe discipline comes through a relationship, character education came, comes through shared philosophy, that we have the mindset that we have to work with parents and that it's a comprehensive process and that it takes time to develop character rather than if we just have the right strategy, this kid will make better choices. Does that make sense at all? It does, it does. And I'd like to expand on that a little bit um, when you're talking about one teacher had the perspective of building the relationship and one teacher had the perspective of a punishment based system, right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So in your book, your second book, the one that's most recently released, don't you focus on moving away from punishment and rewards? Actually, you know, what's so interesting is that's, <laughs> that is actually the focus of the first book. So I've written two books. Okay. I wrote a book two years ago called Teach Skills and Break Habits, Growth Mindsets for Better Behavior in the Classroom. And um, that book was really targeting um, early childhood through about fifth grade, because I find those are the teachers who have been conditioned to use strategies of punishments and rewards to change behavior. We sign the folder. We let kids pick out of a prize box. We give out warm fuzzies. We put kids in timeout. We send them to the office. We call their name or the announcements and they can come and get something. Like we really, there's this focus on punishing and rewarding. And so that- Guilty. Yes. I was and guilty. here's what I'm going to say, Mary. I don't want to sound judgmental. Like my passion and my, what lights my fire is helping people be more empathetic and understanding rather than judgmental. So when I tell you what I'm telling you about teachers resorting to rewards and punishment, I don't mean that in a pointing finger accusatory way. Every teacher I believe does what he or she knows how to do and they're doing the best they can with the skills they have. You wanna know why so many teachers punish Mary as I squirrel off? 
because that's the generation that most of us were raised in. I put you into this world, I will take you out. Like many of us, I'm you know, 54, I grew up in a generation of punishment. And our inclination is to discipline kids the way we were disciplined. That's just inherent. Why? Because that's the modeling we've had all our life. So we have a generation of teachers right now that are trying to discipline the way their parents and teachers disciplined them. The problem is the outcome is not the same. So going back to your question about the books, the first book is helping teachers shift their mindsets away from a model of punishing and rewarding toward a model of teaching skills and looking at behaviors as habits to be broken. That's the whole focus of that book. The second book builds on that, and that's called Positive Behavior Principles. Um, and that's that's the idea of shifting our perspectives or, and aligning our strategies. And what I do in that body of work is that body of work is pre-K through 12. And that looks at prevention, intervention, and crisis principles for shaping. Things like building relationships as the foundation for changing behavior. Um, that behavior is strengthened through skill development that it's easier to channel kids' behavior rather than trying to stop it. So, you know, a lot of people who look at my second book, they're like, it sounds like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Behavior because there are nine principles, philosophical, you know, foundations that we can use to develop strategies. It's very strategy-filled, but it's based on solid foundation of what research says kids need um, to develop healthy character and to shape their behavior in a positive way in the school setting. Okay, so that's really interesting. So what's one thing you'd like to tell some first-year teachers or principals, you know, somebody who's trying to lead, whether it be a teacher or principal, um, it, you know, it doesn't really matter who it is. It's because every, every person in, in the school climate, the culture itself, is a leader in one way or another. Correct. Um, what would you tell a first year teacher or principal who's looking to make that mind shift and where would you tell them to start? Oh my goodness. What a, what a huge question. And the reason I say that is because there are so many, like the nine principles that I talk about, each of them are very, very important. But I, I, let, I tell you what, let's go back and go back to the very first principle. The first principle in the second book is behavior mainly occurs in a relationship. Behavior is like a tennis match. So Mary, if you're aggressive towards me, if you push me, my natural inclination is to push back. Like that's not, and right. it's not because I'm a mean, it's not because I'm, a, it's because I'm survival oriented. If you're really nice to me and you approach me in a positive way, I'm going to be likely to approach you in a positive way. So what I tell people is if you want to strengthen character and change behavior, step number one is you have to develop a relationship. Why is that important? Because I don't want students behaving out of fear of punishment. I also don't want them behaving to get a reward. Why? Because guess what, Mary? Are you always going to be there to sign a kid's folder, yes or no? Are you always no. going to be there to give them a sticker? Are you always going to be there to send them to the office, let them get? No. Why on God's green earth do we believe external rewards and punishments? will create internal motivation to do the right thing. Mary, you want to know what strengthens character and strengthens long-term behavior? Relationship. I do. Relationship. And I know that sounds warm, group hug, and kumbaya, but it's not. 
My second born child, I talk about extensively and he had some challenges. We have four boys, Matthew, Micah, Mark, and Max. And you know what's so interesting is my second born child has some challenges and I could put a Mary in one classroom and the teacher would say, well, he's a handful. And I put him in another classroom and the teacher says, he's talkative. And I put him in another classroom. Well, he just has a lot to say, doesn't he? And one teacher will look at me and say, oh my gosh, I love your baby. I mean, he's really challenging, but oh my gosh, she's so much fun to have in the classroom. And you know what that tells me, Mary? She is the one that has the best relationship. You know what else that tells me? If my son has a good, healthy relationship with that teacher, he's going to work harder. You know why I want kids to behave and have good character, Mary? Because they care about you. Mary, if kids have a good relationship with you, they're going to work harder to do the right thing in your classroom out of empathy, care, and concern. And that is a better indicator of long-term health and well-being than I have to behave so I don't get in trouble. Mary, look at Columbine, Virginia Tech. Look at every school shooting. And I'm going to show you a kid that did not connect with any adult. And if I don't connect with you, I might pull out a gun in the school. But Mary, if I have a relationship with you, let's say you're the librarian and I and I care about you, Mary, guess what? I would never, ever pull out a gun in the school because I'd be concerned that I that it, if I did some random act of violence, you'd get hurt. We're talking about guns in the schools and metal detectors when the real issue is that we have broken relationships. Now, one more thing, Mary, I know I'm talking too much, but that doesn't mean you're their friend. In fact, when you have a respectful relationship with a kid, guess what? You can actually be harder on them because when you try to discipline and teach in the context of a healthy relationship, you usually have positive results. But Mary, when you try to discipline and teach in the absence of a relationship, that often leads to power struggles. So back to your question, the number one strategy I would say is Everything has to go back to the relationship. And when, when, we, when a student ends up in the office, pre-K through 12, the first question we should be asking ourselves, Mary, is who does that kid connect with? It can be a third grade teacher. It can be a custodian. It can be anybody. And do you know what? When that kid comes to the office, I'll say, go take this note to Mr. Johnson. You want to know why? Because if Mr. Johnson has a relationship with that child, that child is going to work harder to do the right thing. I don't care how many doctoral degrees the vice principal or principal has. If they're not the one in, with the relationship, they're not going to be the one positioned best to ultimately strengthen that kid's character and improve his or her behavior. You are so right. And, it, you know, all of this brought me back to a situation I had in my classroom when I was teaching third grade. And honestly, I sucked as a teacher. You know, I look back and I think, it's a wonder any of those kids learned anything because I sucked. But, and the reason I say that is because I had a student named Adonis and I loved Adonis, but Adonis was a handful and he was strong headed and I was strong headed. And I was of the mindset at that time that whatever I said in the classroom is what went. I mean, I was in charge. There's nobody else in charge in that classroom. And one day something happened. I can't remember what it was even, but it got to where I kind of backed him into a corner and I didn't give him any way out to where he had any kind of respectable way to leave the situation, you know, and, and come out of it looking like he, without being embarrassed mm -hmm. or whatever. And I literally, and he literally got up and ran out of the classroom and out of the school all the way oh, to no. the ditch. 
just to yeah. escape. And it was like, now what do I do? I mean, I just had a kid run out of the classroom and run out of the school. And what that, that particular experience taught me, because I went to the phone, I called the office, I said, Adonis just left the school. And they said, I know we saw him. The secretary chased him down to the ditch and actually brought him back. But what I learned from that upon reflection, because that was a huge mm-hmm. moment for me. That was a really turning pivotal point for me in my career, because at that point I realized you just back someone, a child, an eight-year-old into a corner so much that he felt like he had to Mm -hmm. run away. Well, okay, you're what, 35 and who are you now? You're some big old woman that's, you know, just being mean. And that right there shifted my, the rest of my career because I looked back and thought, what have I done? And this is not what I want to be. This is not who I want to be. This is not the kind of relationships that I want to develop with my kids. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about is, is having a good, healthy relationship where it's not just the teacher. It's all about the relationship and not the class. Absolutely. And that's what I try to do is make that connection because I think we hear, oh, you know, build a relationship, build a relationship, build a relationship. I try to help teachers understand and connect the dots for why that is so incredibly important. And, you know, unfortunately, I think our, our educational world is not designed to get that feedback. You know, you, every, every teacher can think of a teacher that they had that like, it's like, I will remember BJ Zamora, high school speech teacher for the rest of my life. Dr. Dean Gwynn, you know, call, I've got people all along the way in elementary, middle and high school that I know shifted my perspective. Like in school, when I was a kid, I can remember certain teachers that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Mary, do you have those people in your life, teachers that impacted you? Um, not oh, positive. that makes my heart sad. Here, well, see, it cuts both ways. It can be positive, or <laughs> that was not the outcome I was looking for. Working here, but no, but <laughs> that's a reality. And here's my point: we have an impact, such a strong impact on kids. And in my opinion, over ninety percent of those kids are never going to come back and tell us, "Wow, you were the relationship that really, really made a difference." in my life. Like we don't get that feedback. And likewise, we don't get the feedback of, wow, I really, I'm going to be the, you know, what not to wear example for this kid for the rest of his life when he thinks about a bad experience with a teacher, like good. So we don't always get the feedback. But what I tell teachers is if we have teachers in our lives that have strongly impacted us and we'll remember them for the rest of their life, you're that teacher for kids. And so that's the power of the relationship because we remember both the positive relationships and the negative relationships. You know what you don't remember, Mary? Oh my goodness. I remember in fifth grade, we did this great worksheet. It was on multiplication facts, like for the rest of my life. No, you don't remember the lessons unless they're very high experiential. You don't remember the academic cognition of what you were taught. You don't remember those cognitives. Now, you might be able to do your multiplication facts. You might be able to, you know, you, you, you're you able to understand the outcome, but you don't remember lessons. You know what you remember? The relationships you had with teachers. That's what you remember. And you remember how those people shaped your own perspective. And I'll tell you what, it was because of the relationship they had with you, not because that, of what they taught you. 
Right. That's true. So is that why you decided to become an educator because of the relationships you had with teachers um, growing up? Yes and no. It's interesting because I was always planning on being a psychologist um, and human behavior has always fascinated me. Like at every level, I just am foolish about understanding behavior um, and somewhere along the road of, you know, working with kids um, when I was working on my master's, I started realizing that I really, really loved working with kids. And that's what sort of got me into the educational route. I first started working with kids in residential treatment. And I, I learned that education was a really good vehicle for me to study human behavior. And once I got involved, in, then I never went away. So I first worked with kids at all levels in residential um, treatment centers and then public education. And then when I started working with adults, um, I realized I think my, my bigger passion, as I tell everyone, I enjoy working with kids, but I'm foolish about working with adults. And anyone who's ever been to any staff development session you know, that I've ever conducted knows I really believe my passion is adult education. And I think that's where I am fed. So I sort of took a different route into education, um, but definitely feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing on this earth. So I, I love education, especially adult education. Yeah. So your passion then is, is what? Well, that depends. I have a lot of passions, Mary. Um, obviously in terms <laughs> of topical information, Helping, I think my biggest passion is probably helping educators shift their perspective and look at behavior and character education in a very, very different way. I get very excited because like for in when people review the books or when I get comments on my staff development sessions, I enjoy the comments that say, wow, I tried this strategy and it worked. I absolutely lose my mind when I get comments that say, oh, wow, I never really looked at it that way. Because Mary, when you give someone a strategy, that's only as good as the strategy. But when you shift someone's perspective, that perspective shift sits with them over a lifetime. So one of my biggest passions, and I, I feel like I overuse that word, like I need to come up with some, some better synonyms. But if there was one word that everything I do is that is that is based on, don't diagram that sentence, Mary. It didn't work. Um, but <laughs> if there's one word that sort of I think goes back to everything I do, it's all about shifting perspectives and giving people new lens through which to see kids' behavior, human development. I mean, I, I love I love helping people adjust their perspective. You know, I talk about this a lot, Mary, in a lot of different ways, but I think even, even adults, especially in our current climate right now, you know, we're, we're very, very, we're very, very tense because of obviously, you know, our pandemic and, and our, our, an election coming up and, you know, health and just everything that's going on. People are very stressed right now. And I love listening to people's stories my passion hearing people's stories because I find when I listen to people's stories, I gain an I gain I gain some insight into their soul. And I think that, you know, relationships go are the are the foundation of everything. And when you get to know someone's story, and I forget who said it, some famous person once said, You once you know someone's story, you can't write them off. 
And so, you know, I go back to this whole perspective shifting because I think we've gotten to an impasse in our country where we're so, so much in survival mode that we fail to humanize other people and to shift our perspective. And I think once we, once we start talking through things, you know, as adults or kids, and we get to know each other and those relationships are, are strengthened by shifting our perspective, then we come from a place of empathy rather than judgment. So I love that whole idea. I know I want, I know I was all over Mary. If you tried to follow my bird walk, there was no following it. But when I tell you, <laughs> it's a disability, Mary. I've told people for years, there's medication for my problem. I apologize. But ultimately I'm going to swing back and t- tell you that my passion is that whole idea of shifting perspective. That That's huge for me. Well, and you know, if people could shift their perspectives and we could have a little bit more empathy and understanding and less judgment, think about how much better. Yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah. I mean, just overall in life in general, because you can't hardly get on social media anymore without somebody attacking someone because they feel offended for something. And so when you start to look at things from other people's perspective, I just think it makes a huge difference, you know, and we're not to judge. That's God's yeah. job. That's not ours. So it really would help if we could. Well, and that is one of my, I mean, and I know we have a limited amount of time, but, you know, I think that's the both cutting edge sword of all these advancements in technology. Like we could spend a whole session on that. So it's so phenomenal. The problem is, I always tell educators when kids are on screens and Mary, I love my technology. So I'm not saying we need to go back to the good old days where we don't have any, that is not what I'm saying. We've made phenomenal advancements in so many ways, but with the advancement of technology, when we're in front of screens, we're not in front of people. And I think that's damaging relationships in so many ways because we will say and do things on a screen that we would never say and do say and do a person because you can't read the human qualities that you can, that you can face to face. Empathy is more evident face to face than it is on a screen. And I think in so many ways, Mary, we've insulated ourselves where we surround ourselves that with people who believe in what we believe and validate our opinion. And we don't really, we're not really challenged to look outside of our own views because I don't need to the technology. Does that make any sense at all? It's, yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. So I think we need to do much more face-to-face, face-to-face, face-to-face with kids, with adults, with everyone, because I think that will naturally help us understand people and come from a place of empathy rather than judgment. Right. Right. And those two things are so huge. And if we could get um, teachers to kind of, Make that mindset shift. I think the biggest takeaway that I'm taking away from our conversation today, Dan, and I wish I would have realized this back when I was teaching, is that my mindset of whether I'm a punishment-based person or a uh, teaching-based person, I thought I was teaching, but obviously I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have backed a kid into a corner. And so um, if I think my biggest takeaway here is that I have the ability Mm -hmm. to choose my mindset, you know? And what you're telling me is that just that one shift in mindset of going from punishment and reward to more of a teaching situation, it's, I mean, that I think would have been a game changer Mm -hmm. for me in the classroom. Yeah, it's, you know, it is huge, but I will tell you, 
it is a challenge for this reason. Um, the brain is habitual in nature. In other words, we like to get into habits. And if you have, whether, you know, you can be a 23 year old teacher, but if you've had 23 years of being punished for misbehavior, you're fighting habits. So, you know, I might want to shift my mindset, but it's just like if you're trying to lose weight, it's just like if you're trying to exercise more, you know, you shift for that one second. And then the next day you catch yourself reverting back, reverting back, reverting back. So, you know, what I would want to tell your listeners is you may shift that mindset a little, but you're going to continually be fighting the habit you've developed of, you know, when push comes to shove, you fall back into your old mindset. And so just like changing kids' behavior takes time, changing adult behavior takes even longer because we are older and have a whole lot more years of ingrained habits of, of mindsets that we're trying to shift. And so I, you know, I do want to caution people that it takes time to really, really settle into a different mindset. You might have an immediate shift, but it takes time before you really are able to actualize that shift into practice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Folks, this is good stuff here. And if you want to reach out to um, Dan St. Romain, you can reach him on his website. It's D-A-N-S-T-R-O-M-A-I-N.com. All right, Dan, do you have any final comments or words that you want to share with our audience before we sign off here? You know, Mary, when we talk about this whole idea of relationships, um, there's a story I tell a lot. I remember quite a few years ago. Um, now, remember, we talked about how I worked in residential treatment centers with really severe behaviors at all levels. And then I moved into public education and I was working with a um, behavior class in the elementary level. And I remember one specific student, Nikki, um, that really gave me troubles. And I'm thinking, hey, I have handled high school out of control kids. I can handle this one. And Mary, every day, it seemed like we got into power struggles and power struggles. And you know what was interesting was at the end of the day, I was always exhausted and I felt like things were going so badly. But I realized, despite all that craziness, we had a really good relationship. Well, I don't feel like, I didn't feel like we made much progress the whole year. By the end of the year, behaviors had changed a little. And I was still furious because I was like, okay, this year was sort of a waste. I don't think I did a lot. And on the last day of school, she came up, she gave me a big hug and said, have a good summer. And I'm thinking, okay, apparently the relationship stayed intact, but I don't feel like, I, I didn't feel like I made any difference there. And I was really upset with myself. So fast forward, Mary, close to 20 years. And I'm in the grocery store a couple of years ago. And a lady at the checkout line said, you look familiar. We started talking Turns out she was Nikki's aunt who often had to come up and pick Nikki up from school from, you know, troubling behaviors. And I said, and I just, I immediately cringed. I was like, oh, good Lord, that was the child I failed. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, well, how's Nikki doing? And she said, oh, she's doing great. She works downtown in a big building. She really turned things around. And, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, we're not talking about the same person, clearly. At which point she said, now her brothers and sisters, I can't say the same thing about. But that one, Nikki turned out fine. And I laughed and I said, I just looked at her and said, well, I'm sure it was because, you know, well, I was her fourth grade teacher. And she and I laughed and laughed and laughed. But that really, 
got me to thinking, Mary, we've talked about this idea of relationships and character development and perspective. And that shifted my perspective because what that taught me was you never know the impact of your work when you're in the middle of crazy. You just, you can't see it. We don't always see the, the long-term benefits of the work that we're doing. But you know what I do remember? As much as I felt like we didn't make a lot of progress, I remember leaving that year going, well, if nothing else, um, we had a good relationship. And I really do believe that that relationship was the foundation of everything. So what I want to leave with your you know, listeners is the idea that you don't know the impact you're making at the time. The best you can do is the best you can do. Because really, our work has to be added to the work of a whole bunch of other people. And then we just hope for the best um, that that relationship and our positive interactions really helped make a difference and move the situation forward. Right. And that is so true, too. And, you know, it's nice when you get some kind of affirmation. I mean, honestly, whether you think you had anything to do with her turning out well, as opposed to her brothers and sisters, or not really doesn't, I mean, you have no proof for that, but it does make you feel a little better, you know? Right. Well, and also I go back to thinking, uh, uh, you know, how much teachers don't get that feedback. We don't, we don't know. We, we right. don't, kids don't come back to us and say, oh, Miss Jackman, I remember I had you in high school. Like they don't come back to us. So, so we have to feel good about the work we're doing, knowing that, you know, if you're, Mary, if we're teaching a child how to write a cohesive paragraph, you can see the end result of that. Like academics, you can see the result of your effort. With relationship and character development, Mary, that's more challenging. Right. You're right. You're exactly right. Well, Dan, thanks for sharing that story with us. I appreciate that. And if folks, if you want to reach out to Dan, if you're looking for some kind of information, training, consulting, speaking, he does keynote speaker, he's a consultant, he's a trainer, he's an author, he's got books, he's got resources, he can help you. And you can reach out to him through his website, which is dansaintromain.com. That's D-A-N-S-T-R-O-M-A-I-N.com. Or through Twitter, which is how I found him. You can stalk him like I did. His handle is at Dan St. Romaine. Um, and so is his Facebook, his Instagram. Everything is all the same. It's, that's the unique thing about having a unique name. You don't have to scrounge like I do for Mary Smith. It, it's a happy thing, yes. Yes, it is. Thanks, Dan, for joining us. I appreciate you. Not a problem, Mary. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it greatly. All right, folks, you've heard it here. If you want to reach out to Dan, feel free to reach out. It's also going to be in the show notes. Until next week, y'all have a great time. Oh, thank you.